Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. As you may have realized, I watch a lot of sports. That's why I like Prime Video. It has all my sports in one app, like the National Women's Soccer League, included with Prime. Plus, you can buy Premier Boxing or stream the NHL and NBA playoffs on Max with the Bleacher Report Sports add-on or add Paramount Plus for the Masters on CBS. Prime Video. It's all your favorite sports in one place. Restrictions apply. Prime membership required for add-on subscriptions. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Before we get to Lewis Riddick, I want to play an answer, an honest answer, from uh, Eric DaCosta. He's the Ravens GM at a press conference yesterday talking about the uh, lack of good receivers the Ravens have. If I had an answer, that means I would probably have some better receivers, I guess. We're going to keep swinging. There have been some guys that have been successful players for us that were draft picks. We've never really hit on that all-pro type of guy, which is disappointing. But it's not for lack of effort. It's one of those anomalies that I really can't explain other than to say we're not going to stop trying. We're going to just keep swinging. And, and hopefully at one of these points we'll hit the ball out of the park. All right. Let's bring in Lewis Riddick, the ESPN NFL analyst. As uh, NFL Live from the Combine, 3 to 5 Eastern, Rashad Bateman did uh, speak out and had some, uh, some words for his GM there. Uh, Lewis joins us now. What, what is going on here in Baltimore, Lewis? Hey, man, I wish I knew right there. Rashad did not really like that, did he? Now, that since deleted, I don't know if it was Instagram or Twitter, I guess from, from my understanding, they all talked and some of it was taken out of context, as they always say in these kind of situations when <laughs> someone gets pretty offended that you didn't really understand the entire you know context of the comment, et cetera, et cetera. But look, man, I think Rashad kind of let the cat out of the bag a little bit about some of the maybe the frustrations that some of the guys internally have there. And it doesn't just really stop with how maybe the wide receivers are utilized. You heard him make reference to or rather you read him make reference to, you know, about keeping us healthy, about maybe there being some issues with the number of injuries that they have every single year and why it takes, it seems like a protracted uh, amount of time for guys to come back. There's a lot of things that seem to need to be addressed internally there, the least of which is Eric DaCosta making a comment about I haven't hit on a, on a star wide receiver where, well, I think um, Hollywood Brown would probably have something to say about that, although you know we can sit here and debate how good Hollywood Brown was. And Rashad Bateman, when he is healthy, is as good as any receiver in the NFL. The kid has ultimate upside. And, and then there's a bigger picture, too, Dan, you know, as far as why did they make the change at the offensive coordinator position? Did they feel as though this offense wasn't evolving enough and really, you know, of the modern-day passing game ilk that they really want to be? And was Greg Roman not capable of doing that? And can Todd Monken do that now for them? There, there's a lot going on there that maybe they ought to kind of, like, circle back, keep it in-house, and kind of address some things from the ground up. But this leads me to what happens next week with Lamar Jackson's contract. What do you, <laughs> what do you think they do with his contract? Because it, it feels like there's, you know, I think he uh, said to Stephen A. or his camp or his leak to Stephen A. Smith, he, didn't mm -hmm. want, he wasn't looking for that guaranteed contract. I was told, you know, to the contrary, he wants Deshaun Watson's contract there. Yeah, look, and you know, I have been steadfast in my belief that he should not 
and no one else should not should treat Deshaun's contract as an anomaly. Okay, it is what it is. It's there. It's not Lamar Jackson's fault. Yeah, it's not his responsibility to try and interpret or make excuses for Jimmy Haslam and the Browns management as far as how they structured that. It's not his responsibility. Number one. So if he is asking for two thirty plus fully guaranteed at signing, great, go for it. Absolutely go for it. Now, from there, what actually was offered and what actually is he being offered, or rather, what he, is he actually asking for? I don't, it's anybody's guess right now because this is a unique situation, as you know, and he's negotiating on his own behalf with some help from outside uh, forces, I guess I should but just say. But why wouldn't he ask like, for Deshaun Watson's contract? I mean, I, I, man, I, I, I get it. I, I wouldn't agree. pay him, but I would right. ask for it. Absolutely. I agree. I agree. And I, and I think. Look, my gut, well, geez, my gut tells me that this is going to really be one of those things that becomes protracted and ultimately ends with him not being there. That's what I think is going to ultimately happen because they're just not going to pay him what he wants. And I think we all know that if he hit the open market and or was available via a sign and trade or some or some uh, version of that, there would be a team that would probably top $200 million fully guaranteed at signing. There would be a team that would do that for him. And it may not be Baltimore, and that's fine. And you know what? I, I also know this, having been through this number, you know, numerous different times. The team that ultimately, you know, winds up drafting you first and has the most intel, most information about you knows a hell of a lot more about really probably what your fair value is than a team coming in from the outside. And a lot of times what that results in is you overpaying and kind of like extending the market past uh, places where it really should be extended. And a lot of times that can burn you. But that does not mean that I don't think a team will offer him a contract that will have Baltimore's jaws hitting the floor if they are to make him available, which I think ultimately that's where it's heading. Talking to Lewis Riddick of the Mothership, the NFL Live crew today from 3 to 5 Eastern, uh, the Combine and leading up to the draft. I was wondering about this with Bryce Young. You know, if mm-hmm. you're the Bears – and you have a higher grade on him than you do uh, Justin Fields. Mm-hmm. But, but I'm wondering who would be interested in Justin Fields. Sometimes we look at these possible trades or moves only through the lens of one team. But I don't know if right. I – like Carolina. Does Carolina look at him and go, that's our quarterback? Or Atlanta yeah. or any of these teams. You know, maybe there's not a market out there for Justin Fields. Therefore, that's why they're going to keep him. Uh, and then maybe trade that pick down. What do you? How would yeah. you read this situation? Yeah, I, I would. I, I see what you, I see what you're saying, but I'd have a hard time believing that, that okay. there wouldn't be a team in that top ten that wouldn't say, you know what, we, we are willing to go ahead and set the foundation around him up front on the perimeter, and then philosophically, philosophically and conceptually in terms of the right kind of coach, right kind of offense coordinator, right kind of quarterback coach. And it's funny, one of the teams that you mentioned, I was, we were just talking about this on the set yesterday, that being the Carolina Panthers, all right? From a structural standpoint right now, in the top 10 of those teams that are there, – there's, there's, some, there's some good quality coaching staffs. Arthur Smith is someone who I respect tremendously. Pete Carroll, you know, and Shane Waldron, what they're doing out there in Seattle, what they did with Geno, someone I respect, you know, tremendously and all. But I'll tell you this, Carolina, with the combination of Frank Reich – and now they have Josh McCown, and they have Thomas Brown as the offensive coordinator who comes over from the Rams. I would I would take that situation for a young quarterback like Justin Fields over just about any of them right now. And I I would have a hard time believing that if they were if they could get their hands on a young man like that, given what he has been through through the first two years in terms of regime regime change and lack of support, I would have a hard time believing that Jeff Tepper would not say, "Yeah, we'll take him." And we'll build around him if we can't get a guy, if we can't get somewhere, you know, out of this nine spot and move up to a position where we could get our franchise guy. We'll take a guy like that for sure. He, he's just got too much promise, Dan. He really does. And we're not we're not giving him a fair shake. I don't I don't I, quite honestly, I don't even know how this got so much steam behind it. This whole concept of the Bears should trade Justin Fields and just draft Bryce Young. Yeah, but you reset your your quarterback contract I, I don't think that's necessary but Justin to... Fields after next season now I got to pay him 50 million dollars a year 
Well, I don't I don't know if that's necessarily the case that you have to pay him that. Okay, forty. I understand. I understand resetting the clock in this in this fascination with people believing or people feeling as though you have a better chance at succeeding if you have a quarterback on a rookie contract because it frees up all this salary caps. But if he's you know got I mean? a better grade, though, Lewis, if you okay. think he's better than Justin Fields, which most draft experts do come away with a better grade for Bryce Young than they do Justin Fields. Well, I, I'm just I'm I'm not I'm not in that well, I, I'll tell you this. I do love Bryce Young. Don't get me wrong. Okay, he is he is a fantastic, fantastic. Would you talent. take him over Justin Fields as your starting given quarterback? What, given what I could get in return for moving out of the one spot to somewhere in the top ten, and relative to what I saw him do, unless there's something out there about Justin Fields that I don't know about, no, I wouldn't make that move. I would trade down. Okay. And I would build out the rest of this offensive line, wide receiver group, get some pass rushers and, and more corners for for Chicago. And I think we would be rolling. We've shied away yeah. from drafting running backs, except for Saquon Barkley up high. Now yeah. you got Bijan Robinson, who has a pretty high grade. But, yep. the, you know, now the Cowboys have said, you know, with Pollard's injury, maybe Zeke is out the door. Mike McCarthy yep. said he wants to run the football more. Yeah. Yeah, they ran the ball a lot. Weren't they a top five <laughs> running team? This this is yeah. I think Mike McCarthy's saying, I got a guy we're spending forty five million dollars on, and I don't mm-hmm. want him having the ball throwing the ball as much as these other quarterbacks do. That's what I yeah, took this, away from this. Yeah. And you know what? And it there's there's a lot to digest from those comments because I think the debate becomes, especially when you're talking about the running game, it's volume versus efficiency, right? So does he say he wants more volume or he wants better efficiency? Because if he's saying he wants better efficiency, great. Every 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 head coach in OC does. They weren't efficient. One, because Tony needed to get more touches. Zeke is done. The offensive line isn't as dominant as it was. And I can understand where they might feel as though they want to be more efficient slash run the ball more because – Look, they, they need to do, and I've said this numerous times, they need to do a deep dive on what happened with Dak last year. Like, what was, where was the gap as far as decision-making under center? You take the snap, you're reading out the defense, you're deciding where to go with the football, you're putting the football where it needs to be put in all the critical situations you need to do it because it just wasn't happening consistently. And you ain't going to tell me it's just Kellen Moore. <laughs> There's more to it than that. Yeah. So there, there, there's a lot of things to unpack for Dallas, man, like there always is. And that's why this offseason, will, they will give us plenty to talk about. The uh, situation with the Jets, if if it's true that the Saints are ready to make an offer for Derek Carr, and it feels like mm-hmm. you know maybe there's a marriage that's uh, you know waiting to happen here, the Jets mm-hmm. are in a holding pattern waiting for Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. What, what do you think of that strategy? Oh, man, you know... I, I've tried to. I've talked about this a couple of different times, and I and every time I come away like saying, "Well, did I did I really represent how I really feel about this?" Look, <laughs> I'm, someone, I'm, I'm someone who really does believe in people like taking care of themselves, right? And you know, from a physical and mental standpoint, and sometimes people go, in you know, and do this in ways that I don't know. Maybe we don't agree with, or we just can't see the the method, the methodology to their madness. We know. I, I, I don't know. Look, Aaron does some things that obviously play themselves out in the public eye that that invite a lot of skepticism and people going, man, come on. I mean, enough. I'm tired of this. This is exhausting, et cetera. So I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to downplay whatever he's trying to get done personally, but from a pure football team building standpoint, it's exhausting, man. It's exhausting. And for the jets to sit and go, well, you know what? We're just going to push all of our chips into the middle of the table and say, look, we'll just wait for Aaron Rodgers." You know, because now Nathaniel Hackett's there and they feel like maybe they can just kind of put this band back together and he can lift this team to new heights. I, I hate the whole fantasy football team building concept. Like Aaron comes there and automatically he's great for Garrett Wilson. You know, he's great for Corey Davis. He's great for, for you know, this entire offense. I and mean, next thing you know, we're challenging in the East. I don't believe that to necessarily be the case, especially if he's going to conduct himself in the offseason the way he did last year. So you don't want are you, are you going to be around? Are you going to help him out? Yeah. Are you going to teach these guys? Yeah. You know, last year we we said, oh, it won't matter. He's he's Aaron Rodgers. He'll get on the same page quickly when he gets to camp. Everyone needs to relax. Stop sweating the guy. <laughs> well, you saw what happened. But then when we talked to the Kansas City Chiefs uh, before the Week 18 doubleheader, and Andy Reid looked, and I go, Andy, 
How did how did you change everybody out in your wide receiver room except one guy, McCole Hartman? You changed everybody. You changed the running back. You changed everything. How are you able to? How's Patrick able to take it to the next another level? Yeah. He goes, I'll tell you how. Because as soon as he knew all these changes were coming and Tyreek left, he got everybody together and said, we're going to work on this all offseason. But then we're going, well, Aaron doesn't need it. What the hell? What do you mean Aaron doesn't need to do that? So that that's what bothers me about this situation for the Jets. If he's going to come there and spend his time in the offseason, Dan, who knows what they can do? Because it is a talented team. We know that. But when, is he, when has he been willing to do that recently? I don't know. Paulie, do you have uh, Lewis Riddick's? Combine numbers? I, I think these are unconfirmed. No, 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 hey, don't don't put those out there, man. It wasn't a, it, There's some good stuff. Like, I, I no, it wasn't actually. It wasn't a good. Day. So you're an overachiever. I got you just under six two two sixteen. Yeah. Uh, hand was... size nine point six three. Yeah. Oh, yeah. do you guys want to play guess the forty yard oh, dash time? Oh, oh. I ran a four seven. Wait, you're not you don't you know how the game works, Lewis? We guess and then you tell us. <laughs> Dan even Lewis is wrong. He ran a four seven two. Oh yeah, see? it was it was Dan, let me just tell you, man. It was not a good morning. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, I, I tell this story all the time. This was an old RCA dome. No one was here. I mean, it was just like it was like so like just you know watered down and nothing like it is now yeah and i get up to the line and first of all you know the lines that were set up for where you put your hands and your feet were not exactly they didn't have like 40 camps and all that crap that they have now for these guys to get prepared so i'm like oh well this is not this is going to mess me so i was i'm all messed up as far as my hands my feet and where i want to start and i look up to my right and in the stands i literally i see mr al Al davis sitting there like this (laughs) He's got his glasses pulled down. Yeah. And, then, and it's him, it's Bill Parcells, and Gil Brandt. Oh, and they're looking at me like, will you just run already? And I'm just like, holy. Yeah, it wasn't a good day. A four, the seven, went a lot better, two. but the 40 times stunk. I, I, think, I think Rich Eisen did better than that. Yeah, I, I you know, I ran faster at my pro day. I ran four, <laughs> five, six. But that that combine thing haunts me, man. Mel Kuyper won't let me forget it. He won't let me forget it. Did you ever hear the story about Orlovsky and the forty yard dash in high school, where there's a Randy Edsel no. from Connecticut was coming over to scout him, and, uh-huh. and Orlovsky moved the cone. He ran his forty yard dash, and he ran thirty seven yards. But Randy Edsel, the UConn coach, thought that that was his time for a forty. And it was actually his time for a 37-yard dash. What and, was the time? And he, uh, it was respectable, I think. For um, I think it, it shocked everybody. And that's the one scholarship <laughs> offer Orlovsky got. But he actually manipulated his 40-yard dash time. I did not know that, but I am glad I know that. I got to respect that, though. <laughs> hey, hey. You do what you got to do, yeah, man. Yeah, yeah. I wish I, I wish I could have done that somehow at the combine. <laughs> if but you hey, would run a thirty-seven yard dash, you... I would have ran like a four, four, four. Oh, you yeah. think so? Yeah. yeah. Speed's overrated. It's about being quick. You know what? That's why, at some point in time, then you know they're going to do do away with the forty, and it'll all be GPS tracking numbers, which is more accurate anyway. What do you mean? But what a lot of a lot of scouting departments have already transitioned to that. They don't. I mean, they they do. They track the forty and they record it and they want the verified numbers, but they really don't use that as a way to really determine a player's functional speed, which is smart. Great to talk to you. Have fun out there Absolutely. in Indy, and thanks for joining us. Of course, man. Thank you. And it's Lewis Riddick. He ran a four seven two. Oh, wait a minute. I'm not supposed to bring that up anymore. NFL Live from three to five Eastern today. Part of the uh, combine coverage there. You look at the fastest guys in NFL history, not necessarily the best guys. We'll uh, run down the list there of uh, you know those combine 40-yard dash times. Back after this with our play of the day. Big day yesterday. Seton finally pulled out the Panini America packs, the official trading card to the Dan Patrick Show. Worth the wait, huh? Yes, it was. It was fun. I always like it. Takes me back to my youth. But, uh, you know, you start rifling through the cards, and then there were a couple of retro cards in there. Keyshawn Johnson was in there. Somebody got an Aaron Rodgers card yesterday. Josh Allen on the cover of the box? Yeah. Collectors can share your cards in the public gallery, complete challenges, earn exclusive award cards, and uh, Panini NFTs, the place to be for the NFL. 
NFL offseason and also the stretch run of the NBA. The official trading cards of the Dan Patrick Show. Also, the official trading cards of the NFL, NBA, UFC, FIFA World Cup, Collegiate Sports. Panini NFT trading cards giving you the opportunity to pull autograph cards, memorabilia cards, rare inserts, even one-of-one NFTs from every pack. PaniniAmerica.net slash blockchain. The official trading cards and NFTs of the Dan Patrick Show. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app at FSR or stream us live on the Peacock app. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet that's right up to $1,500 again sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in Ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park that's 1-800-GAMBLER This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. It is getting that time of the year. It's Miller time. You don't need a watch or a clock to tell you. It's Miller time. Weather gets a little bit warmer. All of a sudden, the beer gets a little colder. It's beer cracking season. It, it, whoa, okay. I don't know if it says that on the calendar. It's a beer that strips away everything you don't need and holds on to what matters the most. It's a light beer that tastes like beer. That's why I reach for a Miller Light. And it's less filling. Only 96 calories. They've been doing this since 1975. They have perfected it. You know, that summer afternoon, we're coming into that time of the year, be like, oh, man. Crack one? Yes, or two. Don't look at your watch. Don't look at the clock. Don't look at the calendar. You know. Miller Lite, the great taste, less filling, tastes like Miller time. To get Miller Lite delivered right to your door, visit MillerLite.com slash Patrick, or you can pretty much find it anywhere that sells beer. Celebrate responsibly. Miller Brewing Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 96 calories. For 12 ounces, fewer calories, fewer carbs than premium regular beer. Miller Lite. Jim Jackson, NBA on TNT. Clippers analyst, Fox College basketball analyst. One of our favorites, Jim Jackson, joining us from Madison, Wisconsin. How's morale, Jim? How you feeling? (laughs) I got the best job in the world, man. I'm I'm still undefeated since I retired. I like it. I'm good. All right. Yeah. Um, Uh Uh-huh. I was wondering, you had a foot injury when you were at Ohio State. I, I think maybe a mm-hmm. stress fracture. And and watching yeah. LeBron's injury, mm-hmm. I think he first said that he stepped on somebody's shoe or foot, and then I thought maybe it's a high ankle sprain. The way he landed, to right. me, looked different and and more serious than a, than you yeah. you know, land on somebody's foot. What did you see in that situation? Well, I mean, it goes back because a lot of times with those injuries, Dan, as you know, it's a lingering effect of something else. So that foot had been bothering him for a little while, from my understanding. So when you have a non-contact injury like that, again, it's a result of wear and tear something over time. So that was just like the needle in the haystack right there, one that kind of took it over the top. So when he planted and I saw it, I was like, oh, man. And I started to hear more about the injury itself. Because for you think about it, at this point in LeBron's career, he's on the back end, less days than more. Getting to the playoffs is very important. So for him to be out and talking about two weeks, maybe three, it has to be something really serious because they had a chance to kind of inch up, and if nothing else, get in the playing game yeah. and go from there. But I think the injury is more serious than probably what they let on. 
because if it's two to three weeks to just to be reevaluated, it's probably some swelling in there. It looked like it may be, and I'm not a doctor, but it looks like it may have been under the arch of his foot, kind of like where plantar fasciitis is at. All of those soft tissue injuries right there, I think all got affected on, uh, on, that, on that play. And then I got to wonder if in three weeks he can come back, do you even want him to come back? You know, let's try to get the play-in game, or do we shut him down for the rest of the season no matter what? Well, it depends on where the Lakers are at, too, at that particular point. Because AD, you know, not playing back-to-back games still hurts the, the Lakers. Now, they were able to split that series, Memphis and OKC, and win that game in OKC and give themselves a good chance to continue to to kind of push up the ladder a little bit. But a lot has to do with that. I mean, I like the moves that they made in regards to the acquisitions. Does that get them a championship this year? I don't think so from a roster perspective. Can they be competitive in a one-game scenario in the play-in? Of course. LeBron is healthy. AD is healthy. And you got Vanderbilt playing the kind of defense he plays. I mean, in the league, BZ, they, they can be very competitive. Now, in the seven-game series, no home court advantage, that's a different story. The most threatening team in the West is who? The most threatening team in the West. I mean, at the one at the top of the leaderboard, which is Denver, that nobody talks about. Because still the narrative is around Memphis. If the Clippers get healthy and whole in regards to, you know, the acquisitions and them playing together. Um, but yet Denver has been the most consistent team. They don't get a, a lot of the credit because of their past failures in the playoffs. So it's weird to say who could be the most dangerous when that, they're the best team in the league in regards to the Western Conference. But do but you think they're the they most dangerous? Like, they can be the best team, but playoff time, the most dangerous team in the West is? Yeah, but you know why? They got, they're got going to have home court advantage all the way around. Okay. And they got the guy, the Jokic, that can change the total complexity of the game. And you have some X factors – like Porter Jr., that if he comes to play, that can be really serious. Now, I mean, do we know how good the Mavericks will be once Kyrie, and they, and they won last night, Kyrie and Luka? Of course. Because those two, again, late-game situations, Kyrie leads the fourth quarter in scoring. They could be a team that, from a matchup perspective, could be very difficult to have to contend with, especially if you're a lower-seeded team. The team that is more for real, for the lack of a better description, the Kings, the Grizzlies. That's a good one. Um, Grizzlies, because they have a little bit more experience in the playoffs in regards to where they've been, Um, the makeup of the team. But now, you know, but they're still young in some aspects of it, though, Dan. And that's the part that kind of bothers me a little bit is that this year they came in with the expectations because of what happened last year, which is great. But if you look at their team, too, they're still pretty young in key positions. Um, I love Desmond Bain. Um, Jaron Jackson, to me, is the key in regards to being healthy in the playoffs. I love the way Taylor Jenkins kind of manipulates the lineups and gets the most out of his guys. But I got to get my head, I mean, my credit to Mike Brown. This, Dan, to me, is the perfect Mike Brown team. You say, why? Well, when he's with Cleveland, he kind of had LeBron, and LeBron kind of ran things. That the Lakers, it wasn't really – it was still kind of somebody else's. This is his team, a young team that has bought in, yeah. that kind of filtered out, streamlined the um, roster so you didn't have a lot of overlapping positions. Darren Fox is on point on pace. Sabonis is like probably one of the best acquisitions. I really love the direction in which Sacramento is going. I really love how they responded to Mike Brown, even though he's probably been criticized in other scenarios about his offensive kind of takes and style. We're talking to Jim Jackson. He's a busy man, NBA on TNT, Clippers analyst. Mm-hmm. You called. Uh, uh, you got uh, Purdue at Wisconsin, or you had that last mm-hmm. night, and then last you, night, you had yeah. Lakers. Grizzlies. Are you sold on uh, the big man with Purdue? In college, definitely. Well, no, but, you know, you know, I said, well, in college, in okay. college, yeah. Okay, but are you sold and, and on him? Let me tell you why. Okay, five years in, in regards to his experience in playing. If you look at the preseason All American team, there were four post players, traditional post players, and one guard, Marcus Sasser. So you had Oscar Sheboy, you had Drew Timmy, you had um, 
it was Zach Eady and Trace Jackson Davis. Why? Because in college, a traditional post player is going to get multiple touches all the time. All the time. In the league, that's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. So post players can still be post players and be dominant. And why that is effective is because now you got a double team. You have a lot of shooting available around the court. And Zach Eady, I'm going to tell you, then watching him progress the last few years, the thing that gets me, and you can see how good he really is, one is confident. You know, you play well, Dan, you've been around enough to know. Guys start to get successful. Mentally, they know they can play. His footwork, his touch around the rim, his acceptance of double teams and how to beat them, and his awareness, court awareness. All these things you can watch and see that he's grown accustomed to and comfortable with. That's why I like where he's at now. To me, the, the, the key with Purdue is their backcourt. Because Fletcher Lawyer and also Braden Smith are two young freshmen who are a little bit smaller at the guard position that if they're not playing well, this is a different Purdue team. We were uh, talking about uh, scoring the uh, Antoine Davis trying to beat Pete Maravich's all-time scoring record, uh, fell mm-hmm. three points shy, and we were talking about different scoring outputs. Are we going to see somebody you know, get to 80 points again like Kobe? What's the most points mm-hmm. somebody scored on you your team in a game that you were in? Latrell Sprewell, Golden State, scored 50-plus. It might have been close to 55. Okay. that And that was a year they were transitioning from um, – they were renovating the arena in Oakland and played in San Jose. See, I tell you, I still remember because Latrell went off on it um, at that point. But – you know, getting 50 at that time, 40, it meant something. Yeah. Not that it, not, not it doesn't mean it now, but it's, it's the relevancy in which it's taking place. Um, what I, I mean, the, the, the amount of times that it's taking place now kind of does take away from it being more of a special moment because of the rule changes and guys doing it right now. It's like, oh, somebody got 50. Whereas before, it's like, oh, Somebody got 50. Yeah. Totally different. I was uh, watching how Golden State was playing defense on Russell Westbrook. And yeah. Draymond Green is way deep in the paint. Mm-hmm. Russ is at mm-hmm. the top of the key. He could walk over, dribble two times, and shoot a free throw. Yep. How's this happen? Yeah. How's this happen? Mental. How does Ben Simmons know, uh, not want to shoot? But do you think Russ it, is mental? Because he wants yeah, to shoot. It, it, it's mental. No, no, it's mental. I'm going to tell you why. Because, then this game is so delicate on the mental psyche, okay, that you would go from a Ben Simmons who could score the basketball who would never want to shoot the ball. He can go through a game and not even look at the rim. A Russell Westbrook who is known full speed to come down, he'll pull up for a jump shot 15 feet, Remember, he would get to the left side, use the glass off yeah. the backboard. Yeah. You know, he would shoot a three. Not that he was the most efficient, but without hesitation. The mental aspect of not being as successful over and over. And you say, well, I'm not listening to the outside noise. That's impossible. It's impossible because you hear it no matter what. And you play that into your mind. And you say, well, it doesn't affect me. Well, you say that. But the actions and what we see on the court a lot of times reflect something totally different. And when you're that wide open on multiple occasions and you don't even look at the rim, it's mental. Mental. And that's why I say that the mentally tough players are the ones that kind of break through when things sometimes don't go right, which will happen when you play this game long enough. But it, it, it always felt like Russ should stop shooting. He kept shooting, and he's not a good shooter. Now, Draymond's basically saying, you can shoot a free throw. Go ahead. I get, he was embarrassing Russell Westbrook with that. I know, but here's the thing. Okay, he's, he may not be a great three-point shooter, but he was a really good mid-range shooter. So why not take two dribbles and pull up for 15? That tells you the mental psyche in which where he's at in his head. Because you're right. Okay, Draymond was like imploring him to shoot the ball. Okay, no, maybe I won't take this three-pointer, but I'll come in a little bit closer, 17, 16, 15 feet, and make you pay for backing up. But, Jim, he He didn't didn't do do that that either. I know, that's what's amazing. But 
that but see but that's <laughs> the mental part of it Dan. and no matter how long he's played this game and successful as he has been strong-minded player one of the strongest-minded players that we've seen play this game okay allows that part of it that part of not being successful to affect his whole game that part of it affects everything he does because you know why he ends up getting himself in a little bit more trouble trying to get closer to the rim instead of shooting creating plays he's turning the ball over making some probably not the smartest decisions at the end of the game because you know why he won't shoot who's going to get to 80 points well Devin Booker could definitely get there um Giannis can get there because he gets to the free throw line even though he may not be the most skilled player like he said um we've seen um Donovan Mitchell get close of course Damian Lillard I mean if if Clay gets hot we've seen it what he can do from the three-point line, it, it's 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 amazing, too, that the way the – wait, I'm going to take it back. If, if you want to play defense in this league, which is tough, Dan, and you want to kind of carve out your niche, it's hard because you really can't play the way you want to play because you're penalized for being a really good defensive player that kind of uses his strength and size and length to, to be really good. And I get why the NBA, NFL, baseball want more offense, want more excitement. I get it. But then you lose the essence of the challenge, especially in the NBA, of a guy saying, you know what, I want to take pride in shutting somebody down. Give me a chance to do it. It's like a cornerback on a receiver. Give me a chance to utilize my skill set to be able to go one-on-one. But if everything is skewed towards the offensive player, what do I do? I might as well not play any defense. And and JJ Redick has talked about this that you know he's tired of hearing the get off my lawn guys about the physicality of the the way the game used to be played, but the reality of it is the greatest player who ever played the game got roughed up, and that's where the Pistons created the Jordan rules and Mike decided to get stronger. That if you look at what was a hard foul, a playoff foul, now you right. get thrown out of a game. So J.J. has to understand, while it might not be, you know, Greco-Roman wrestling back in the day, I could right. put my hand on you, I could do an arm bar on you, and we didn't, you know, we looked at it and like, that's just a hard, they were called hard fouls. Now, yeah, for a reason. now it's the intent, what's the intent? That's a technical. So when he says, oh, you know, I don't want to hear about the physicality, it was there. Can't deny that. You don't have the physicality. You're not able to be physical in today's NBA. No, and I think J.J. was trying to refer to off the ball before a player gets it. Like he, I think he used Steph for an example, like off the ball, the amount of holding that takes place. That's one thing. Coming to the lane and getting hit across the face with an elbow is something totally different when you're attempting a shot or trying to get inside the lane. Going across the lane to set a screen on a post player and they're taught to put the elbow right in your throat or in your chest yeah. is a little bit different than off the ball. And then the the reason why I don't I, I try to stay away from this is my argument about errors. Every error is totally different. You it's hard to compare. The young men and women that are playing the game today, it's hard for me to be upset with them because all they know is what what's in front of them. All they can understand is the game that they've been playing. They didn't grow up in the park. They didn't grow up playing in, like, you know, raggedy gyms. They didn't play in backyards. A lot of them. So this is how this is how they see the game. And, of course, this is how they're going to play. When I grew up, it was alleys. It was, it was the parks. It was backyards. It was raggedy gyms. But that's what I knew. All I knew. That's how I – and my game reflected the era. So you can go from the 50s to the 60s to the 70s to the 80s to the 90s. All of those eras and the players, the way they play, reflects the era in which they grew up in. So that's why when you go back and forth, you start trying to compare, it's impossible. And I'll give you a prime example. They said, well, Steph couldn't play in the 80s or 90s. I said, why? They said, because he's too small. I said, well, Isaiah did. Michael Adams did. D. Brown did. Uh, Muggsy Bogues played, Spud Webb played. I said, the difference is they grew up playing the game a different way. So you can't transfer Steph, skill set today, 
and take it back to 85, 86, because he wouldn't be playing the game that way. And vice versa, you couldn't take a Shaquille O'Neal, Alonzo Mourning, and put him in 2023 and expect him to be a dominant post player. That's where the argument kind of loses a lot of its steam is because you can't, it's not trans, it's not easily transferable like that. Yeah, it, it would be interesting if you had one of those body switching movies and Steph went back to the 70s and he's like, hey, ref, he's got his hands on me. Hey, they knocked exactly, me to right? the ground. Hey, that's a, that's a flagrant foul. Oh, you don't know what a flagrant, no, a flagrant foul. That's a hard foul, Steph. You know. But you, your, your coaches back then would put somebody in the game and take two to three hard fouls just sure. because. Absolutely. Just, just because. And, and bring them back out. So you did your job. Like Rick Mahorn or Charles Oakley wouldn't have roles in today's NBA. You know what? They'll be more like Draymond. Have to play mate. Have to do those little things like that. Seriously. In today's game. They can still be physical from the perspective of that, but they would have to add a skill set more so. Both were highly intelligent players, though. Okay? They just didn't have the ball in their hands like Draymond does. Yeah. But in order to you know, in order to really excel in this league, you have to have some kind of skill set in order that benefits the team outside of, you know, rebounding the basketball. Always great to talk to you. Safe travels. Always, man. How's Zane? All right, Zanesville. Zanesville, Zanesville, Zanesville Ohio. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> have you been to Zanesville, Ohio? Yeah, I have. How about this, Dan? My senior year in high school, regional semifinals in Columbus. We played Zanesville High School. All right. And? Well, you know what happened. You torched him. Yeah, we won. Did you see the statue of me in Zanesville? Because no, they no, they took it down for other reasons. Oh, they did. Well, they, well, they are they are taking down statues. So <laughs> yeah, they, they took it down for other reasons. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. Safe travels. Anytime, thanks, brother. All right, that's Jim Jackson. Now, I was born in Zanesville, Ohio. Wasn't really raised there. Did you, you moved uh, a few times as young. Yeah, man. I did. Yeah, uh, but so when someone says Dan Patrick is from blank Ohio, Mason, Ohio, okay, Cincinnati, Ohio, oh. I went to University of Dayton, but people go, "Oh, you're from Dayton." I'm like, "No, I'm from more Cincinnati." Well, you spent most of your youth in Mason. Yeah. Okay. Yes, right by Kings Island. Now, what if Zanesville tries to claim you? They can't. They'd like to. No, but they can't. It's like Eastern Kentucky tries to claim me, and they didn't want me. <laughs> now they want me. It's like. Uh, I, I'm not claiming them. Let's put it that way. How about we take a break? Yes, Paul. When you were... I'll save it. Let's take a break. Let's take a break. Let's don't bring up a sensitive subject here. Something that's going to... Just in hurt, time for a break. Yeah, hurt my feelings. Back after this. Thanks for listening to the Dan Patrick Show podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning, 9 until noon Eastern, 6 to 9 Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. And you can find us on the iHeartRadio app, at FSR, or stream us live on the Peacock app. Tim- Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. There are some things that are too good to keep a secret. Like how your Amex Platinum card helps you have the perfect trip. I'd like to check into the Centurion Lounge. Or how it seems like you always get those hard-to-snag tables. Ooh, yum. And how you get the most out of select can't-miss events. With access to the Centurion Lounge, Resi Priority Notified, and Amex card member benefits at select events, you'll have to share. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. When you drive a vehicle so reliable it's backed by a 10-year, 100,000-mile limited warranty, you stop thinking about what you can't do 
and start doing what you never thought possible. Visit your local Kia dealer today to see what you're capable of in a vehicle that inspires confidence around every corner. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-333-4KIA for details. Always drive safely. Limited inventory available. Warranties include 10-year, 100,000-mile powertrain and 5-year, 60,000-mile basic. Warranties are limited. See retailer for details. Kirchin, ESPN, Hall of Famer, ESPN baseball analyst, kind enough to join us to talk about the game. And how would you recap the first week of spring training with these new rules, Timmy? Well, Dan, I'm pleasantly surprised how well things are going. Now, look, I'm not suggesting that everything's great and we don't have way more adjustments to go from here and something could go terribly wrong. But I did a game the other day from the booth, Dan. It was We had 21 strikeouts, 17 walks, and the game lasted three hours and five minutes. That game last year lasts four hours and 15 minutes. Yeah. I also did a game that was 12 to 7. 19 runs scored, and the game was played in two hours and 59 minutes. Again, last year, that game takes four hours. This is the point. The players, surprisingly, have adjusted very quickly to this, in part because they don't have much of a choice. And the Yankees, Dan, played a game the other day in Orlando without a pitch clock because they didn't have the technology there. And they still played the game in two hours and 30 minutes because the players were already in the mindset that we got to go here. Listen, we're not in a rush, but we got to move. There's no dead time. So, so far, I'm really surprised with the biggest rule change the pitch clock has gone better than I expected. Any downside? Well, sure. I mean, we we had a game decided well, <laughs> on a guy not being in the box. We've had a catcher not in the box, and we've had pitchers go late. So, yes, Dan, that game that happened between the Red Sox and the Braves, which ended – on a, a violation that that simply can't happen during the regular season. If it happens during the postseason, we're dead. If it happens in the World Series, the game will fold up immediately. <laughs> so this is why we're playing 30 spring training games. This is why everyone has six weeks to figure this out. And again, I'm not suggesting there won't be minor tweaks, but I've spoken to Major League Baseball, and they basically have told me, these are the rules. These are the rules we're going to have on opening day. I just hope we get there in one piece. And so far, I think so good. I know that when you had the Yankees game, Aaron Rodgers, or uh, Aaron Rodgers, uh, uh, who's our home run king, uh, Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge. <laughs> Completely different from Aaron Rodgers. But Aaron Judge <laughs> is mic'd up. And he said, you know, I don't think about the previous pitch now when I'm in the box. You don't have time to step out and like, oh, man, I missed my pitch or uh, I look bad on that pitch or he fooled me with that. Now it's I get right back in the batter's box, but I still feel like it's more of a pitcher's advantage, Tim, because they can decide I'm going to speed this up as you know much as I want uh, or as quick as I want. You got to get in there. I have a little bit more you know, leeway with my, my pitch clock than you do getting into the batter's box. Yes, another surprise for me this spring, Dan. The first day, Buck Showalter said, watch, the hitters are going to have more trouble adjusting than the pitchers, and that's precisely what's happened. I asked Justin Verlander, what about the new rules? His eyes lit up, and he goes, I love them. I asked Garrett Cole, and he said, oh, I love them. Max Scherzer, oh, I love the new rules. Here's what Max Scherzer, the mad scientist, did the other day. <laughs> Some kid gets in the box with 18 seconds left on the clock. And Max Scherzer gets right into the stretch, and he stares at this poor kid for 14 seconds. Now, Dan, you played <laughs> in your day, and you know when that pitcher stares at you for three seconds, it's uncomfortable. As, as Scherzer told me, eight <laughs> seconds is an eternity. He went 14 seconds. The hitter just freezes at that point he's paralyzed because he's not used to being in that spot before so i think our really smart really good veteran pitchers are going to use some of these rules to their advantage and i repeat i think the pitchers have an advantage here 
over the hitters. And Dan, we put in all these new rules to give the hitters a better chance against this remarkable pitching that they see every day. And now I think the pitchers are getting another boost. We're talking to Tim Kirchin, Hall of Famer, ESPN baseball analyst. I've got some over-unders here, Tim. Aaron Judge over-under home runs, 45 and a half. I'm going over. I'm not saying he's going to hit 65 and top last year, but he's in great physical shape. He's a way better hitter than he was three years ago. He's got a really short stroke, which we saw last year. His average went up, strikeouts went down, and he's so strong. Mark Deshera once told me how strong he is. He goes, he says, uh, everyone's hitting a driver. Aaron Judge is hitting a four iron. That's how strong he is, and he doesn't need much. So I'm going to say he hits more than 45 and a half homers. Shohei Otani, 35 and a half homers. I'm going to go over there too. That that guy is so unbelievably strong, and even though he pitches every fifth day, he plays every day. And I'm going over on 35. Over under. $500 million for Shohei Otani's next contract. Oh, he's going over that. He's going to break <laughs> every record by a mile. I think Juan Soto has a chance to get extended before Otani gets his next deal. I think Soto will get the biggest contract ever, and then I think Otani will top that. Because, again, Dan, we've never seen anybody like this. But is, does he and get he two salaries, Tim? Well, it doesn't matter how they do it. The two salaries will add up to the biggest contract ever. And there are a bunch of teams that are really going to be interested, and there are a bunch of teams that seem to be saving up their money right now to afford him. Can the Angels afford him? Uh, I think they can, and I think they're actually doing the right thing here is holding on to him in other words not trading him last off season and they're going to try to win and they're going to try to convince him that we're going to win here and we're going to win long term here and we're going to build around you and you're going to be mike trout's teammate for maybe 10 more years hmm. um, if that doesn't happen if they get to the trade deadline and the angels are not going to the playoffs and they don't have a bright future I think that's when they're going to have to trade Otani. But I wouldn't trade him until then. I would do everything it takes to try to win this year and prove to him we're, we're good enough and we're gonna and you're going to be the biggest star in the world playing here as opposed to maybe somewhere else where there are other big stars yeah. other than Mike Trout. Yeah, I think that I, I would still, I'd have to go, do I want to be Mike Trout? I can be the best player in baseball. I'm not playing in any postseason games. Why would he have confidence in the Angels organization, considering what has happened with Mike Trout? Well, that's a good point, Dan. I'm not suggesting he's going to play for the Angels next year. I'm just giving you the scenario that they might be able to keep him. A, they have to be able to afford him no matter what he wants. Mm -hmm. And they just have to do like the Giants did a couple years ago and other teams come out of nowhere and suddenly they're good. That has to happen for the Angels to keep Otani. I think that's the only way. Otherwise, he's going to go to a team where he can win. Who wouldn't want to do that? Give us the team or teams that if we talk to you in July – you can say, I told you so. Maybe some surprises. You know, Dan, I, I'm not one to avoid the question, but I just don't see these huge surprises this year. I, I looked at the playoff teams in each league, and I think you could be pretty certain this is how it's going to work. Okay. Look, I think the Angels, I just said this, but I think the Angels could be better. The Angels were a bad team last year. But with a healthy Trout, Otani at his best, they did some really nice things. Their starting pitching is better than people think. I think they're one team that could go from not very good at all to the playoffs. The Rangers also. We talk a lot about the Rangers, so they don't qualify as a surprise team. But they have a chance to get to, say, 82 wins this year, which is a big jump for them. But that's as far as I'm going. I just don't see a sub-500 team you know, winning the World Series this year. I just don't see it. I also want to know baseball's – I know what their philosophy is now with the runner at second and extra innings. But I wonder with the new rule changes, Tim, are we going to need to put a runner at second base 
to speed up the game. When we're speeding up the game, why do I need to put a runner at second base to start the 10th inning? Well, I'm completely with you on this, Dan. I'm sorry. I'm 66 years old. We, pl- we played this game awfully well for well over 100 years, and I still do not understand why we had to put that guy at second to start the 10th inning of a tie game. I just don't get it, and I never will. And yet there are people in the game, lots of people in the game who love it. But, Dan, you're right. These speed-up rules are working. We're trying to keep the players healthier. I think it's okay to ask – uh, for quicker games and healthier players that maybe we could play until someone actually wins the game. And I know people hate to hear this. Some of the greatest games I've ever covered in my life are 15 innings, 18 innings. I've covered 20 inning games. Yes, we have to work a lot harder. Yes, you're, you're late for dinner, all of that stuff. But it makes for really good baseball sometimes. And I wish they would outlaw that. And they're not. We had Dave Roberts on, the Dodger manager. And I said, what do you think of the new rules? He goes, Gives me more time to drink wine. (laughs) You know, all all kidding aside, Dan, Aaron Boone went to his team and said 30 fewer minutes. That means we're on the bus in 30 fewer minutes, on the plane. You're home 30 minutes earlier. And most important, as we try to keep these, these players healthy, he said it's 30 minutes less on your feet during the day. Nothing is more tiring than standing in right field in a game that lasts four hours and 20 minutes. It is a tiring experience, and we can keep our players healthier, which we're trying to do with shorter games. Always great to talk to you, Tim. Thank you. See you, Dan. Take care. Tim Kirchin, ESPN. (laughs) Baseball analyst. There are certain guys that I would always be like, Tim Kirchin, ESPN. Mel Kuyper, draft expert. Because we would, you know, have to lead into them and it'd be like, Mel's got his uh, mock draft. Mel Kuyper, draft expert. Tim Kirchin, ESPN. Uh, Let me get Andrew in Washington in. Always great to have Andrew joining us. And uh, what do you have for me? Thanks, Dan. Happy Meet Friday, Dan and Danettes. Um, Thanks for taking my call. I kind of had a little thought on if somebody will get 100 points in a game. But also, I just wanted to say I'm a proud member of the Seven Minute Club. I did get in and get a moonshine um, gift set yesterday before they were sold out, so I will be enjoying that soon. But um, if you think about it, somebody's going to get 100 points in a game. Clay Thompson has the highest scoring quarter, 37 points. Even with that, that player would need to average 21 points a quarter in the other three to get 100. I just don't think we'll see it. I don't think a team will do it, and I think players kind of revere that record. And I don't. I know they want to break it, but I think they'll they'll step back. So, um, other than that, I did have a stat of the day. You already said it. It was about Kyrie and Luca. But within that, there's a trivia question. Can anybody name the teammates that have scored forty? Both scored forty points in the game the most in NBA history. Teammates who scored the most. Yeah, both both have scored more times. They have scored forty points in a game each in NBA history. Hmm. Okay. Yeah, Paul. First name that popped in my head, though it's probably wrong, Shaq and Kobe. No, that's not right. Okay. Marv? LeBron and Kyrie? Close, but no. Hmm. LeBron and D-Wade? No. Any other guesses? Paulie? No. Nobody? Nobody? Chamberlain and West? They, it was West and Baylor, but they didn't do it uh, uh, as many times as Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook Jr. III. Oh, all righty. All right. right, Russ. Thank you. Yeah. Woo! Stat of the day! Stat of the day! Stat of the day! Stat of the day! This is the stat of the day! Stat of the day brought to you by Panini America. Yes, Paulie? If you take Will Chamberlain out, three players in NBA history have scored 45 or more points in the first half of a basketball game. But you kind of, if you, someone scored 45, let's say Donovan Mitchell scored 45, then it's on, right? It's yeah. Like yeah. Three guys all time. Okay. Uh, two were on the same day. Mm. We talked about them earlier. Uh, David Robinson? David Thompson? Oh, David Thompson. David Thompson had 53, and George Gervin had 53, both in the first half on April 9th, 1978. <laughs> Isn't that wild? For, both in that game. Well, so, they were trying to win the scoring title. They each had 53 at half the same day. 
And then Wilt Chamberlain had 45 in the first half of a game in 1962. At Bed365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. See for yourself when you sign up today and get $150 in bonus bets when you bet just $5. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Bet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Terms and conditions apply. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.